Welcome to the Legacy Leaders Podcast. Are you doing the best for your client to help them create their legacy? Are you creating a plan that goes far beyond finances to help people ensure that it becomes the driving force behind all decisions? On this podcast, hosts Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller will help you with growing your practice and your client's peace of mind. Together, they bring the best and brightest minds to share with you how to help your clients develop their best legacy. And now, here are your hosts, Katie Beth and Stan. Hi, and welcome to the Legacy Leaders Podcast. I'm your guest host, Carol Eddy, and I'm in Denver, Colorado. And I'm excited to introduce our guest today, Chris Gordon. Chris is an estate planning and elder law attorney who loves to help individuals and families of all kinds get their legacy organized. Chris often counsels clients in matters related to estate planning, elder law, asset protection, trust and estate administration, guardianships and conservatorship, probates, and business succession planning. And I'm sure he could name a few more. Chris, welcome. Thank you, Carol. Nice to be here. So let's jump right in. Can you tell our, re- our listeners a little bit about your background and how you got into estate planning and elder law? Absolutely. I am what we call in Colorado, a recovering Californian, <laughs> but uh, I've been here long enough that I've had five children born here. So the Coloradans can't kick me out. I count as a Coloradan <laughs> now. So I am the youngest of six children and I'm a bit of a whoopsie. So that means that I had a pretty good vocabulary as a little guy. And I remember as a very little kid, people would say, you know, you, you could, you would be a good attorney someday. And I, I don't, know how to take that now looking back, but I think what they were trying to tell me is for a six-year-old, you're sure making some interesting arguments about why you should get what you want. So I've always kind of had law as a goal, but when I was a kid and a young adult and having those grandiose ideas, because I wanted to be a trial lawyer of the type that you watch, you know, you see on TV. My my mother didn't watch soap operas. She watched courtroom procedurals and, and law enforcement procedurals. So I always had that in my passion to closing argument. And that's, that's what I'm going to do. And then I, as I studied law, and although I really enjoyed trial practice and evidence practice and things like that, I kind of came to realize that I, I don't have that, maybe that competitive bug that I think you need to, to have to be a successful in a more adversarial kind of interaction. I, I, I take that all very hard and, and very personally when I get involved in it. So it didn't take long for me to notice that I was much more comfortable in a counseling role. And so I don't litigate a great deal, but I do, you know, every so often. And once, when I kind of started to notice that about myself, I did start gravitating towards this, this area of planning. And it, it always resonated with me when I was young. My father was diagnosed with ALS, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, and uh, we, we started to notice that he was struggling physically, but we also began to notice some, some interesting things going on mentally. He, he had some, some paranoia and some things that developed into more what you'd think of as just dementia. And he was only in his late 50s at the time, so it was a little young for that, and it took a while to, to get his diagnosis in, but at that age, I still, I took note. I noticed that mom and dad had planned and my dad and mom are that way. They, they, they plan things out. They're meticulous and they're, they're not preachy, but they're also not secretive. So we were all very aware they had plans made. And, and when dad passed away, I remember asking my mother, you know, at some point, isn't there going to be some lawyer that comes over to our house and like, we sit around the table and he reads <laughs> 
or something like that. And I still haven't done that yet. I haven't had any kids invite me over to their to, to put a suit and tie on and read. So, you know, I, I even then I kind of gathered that's not exactly how it goes, but that stuck. And um, in the when my first job opportunity after law school came up in the area of elder law, I felt very at home, felt very at home. And I've mostly stayed in that practice since then. Well, that's great. And that's a super interesting story. I appreciate that. So, Chris, can you tell us what some of the most common issues you help clients with in your practice? Yeah, absolutely. I, For better or for worse, most of my client situations are fairly boring. I mean, from the standpoint of probably half of my caseload is helping families in some stage get their estate plan put together or visits to keep it up to date. It's usually good to have to see them at least every couple of years to, to try to keep things up to date. Not everybody is diligent about that, but I do have a fair amount of time spent maintaining rather than the plan. And then probably the other half is, is either, well, primarily would be implementation of the plan, I'm going to say, because mm-hmm. someone has gotten older, have some diminished mental faculties, or they've died and it's time to, to execute the plan. Uh, Tucked away in there is the occasional case where there isn't a plan or the plan is not working and we need to deal with that. That would be more in the realm of what we call guardianship and conservatorship here in Colorado. And I do a little bit of that. Yeah. And one of the things I was also wanting to ask you about is I'm sure you get questions about Medicaid and long-term care coverage for seniors. What do you think some of the most biggest misconceptions are about those two areas of planning? Yeah, that's a great question. These days... Probably the bigger misconception that I see is that if they haven't done anything about it a long time ago, there's nothing really left to do to prepare for it. So a fair amount of my clients are referred to me from the financial advising community. And so many of them do have some plans in place. But if they don't, there's a lot of just resignation. Well, I guess I guess I just hope I have to die at home and nothing will, you know, I won't need anything beyond that and sort of a yeah, that resignation is probably the way to look at it. And so there's that misconception that they, they've they missed their chance to do anything. Quite a few of my clients have been retired for a few years. And so they're not in the mindset of big changes in their financial picture. They probably could be, but they're not always wired that way when they come to see me. Yeah. And interestingly, when I was thinking about long-term care as a financial advisor, one of the misconceptions I have found is that people don't recognize they only think they can get long-term care, traditional insurance, which is an insurance that if you don't use it, you lose it, and it's expensive, and the rates can go up. And they don't understand there are actually other options out there. You can do a hybrid life insurance policy to cover the same type of thing. And that way, if you don't use it, it's set up for you to use it if you need it. But if you don't, the ben- uh, the death benefit goes to your heirs. So that way, somebody benefits from the insurance policy. That's exactly. It. People haven't even heard about it. They haven't heard about it and they they feel like that monthly premium long-term care insurance is something that maybe they should have gotten, but now they feel at age 70 something, it's too late or it's not in their budget. And therefore they must not have any other choice, but to just hope to death that they don't need to spend any time in a nursing home. Yep. It's really interesting stuff. What do you think the biggest challenges you see your clients face? Good question. I mean, as I've been thinking about it, I have seen most of my clients struggle with balancing a couple of priorities. I think, you know, almost anybody who comes to see me, they almost have the same prepared speech as their introduction to what they want to accomplish. Chris, we just, we just want to make things really easy for our, for our family, for, for, for ourselves and for our family. We want to make things really easy. And 
that's such a loaded term yes. making things easy thing you know well easy for whom and for what and, and there's there's so many different things that come into place as age treats people so differently you know almost all people face some kind of diminished capacity in their age but a lot of folks are able to stay in the driver's seat very competently until they check out you know and so trying to hit that balance between i want to make things easy so that my my wishes can get carried out so that the right people can have access to to me to my money to my decisions and but also not so easy that there's abuse and there's protections and contingencies in place and so it, thinking through that balancing act is probably most of what i do is helping people try to find the right level of contingency planning i'll say to put into their thought where they're they're really solving enough problems that they can have some peace of mind but they haven't created this quagmire that no one to be able to work with or they haven't gotten so fatigued and frustrated that they just decide not to do planning right that doesn't happen very often i've gotten pretty okay at helping people find their their sweet spot but that's what we're shooting for yeah, I, I think it's really important to figure out what their priorities are because they think they have an idea. Often when you walk through it, it turns out to be a little bit different. And that feels like that's our job to kind of tease that out. And I hate, I, I, I really do hate being the one to say, yeah, this idea that you have in your mind if it's going to go, it is fraught with things that are not going to work. And I'm sorry. <laughs> and and I, I don't like, I don't enjoy that. I, I yeah. mean, there's a reason why we call that being devil's advocate, right? But we do owe clients a little bit of that. So finding a way to present that all delicately and in, in a way that doesn't necessarily besmirch their children. I, I don't ever want them to think that I think that your child's going to be the one that goes crazy and steals your money. You know, I don't I don't want to put yeah. them in that position of, of them feeling like they have to be defensive, but finding the right way to make them aware of certain what could go wrong. Yeah. And what and what and, and and but also being honest that it probably won't. Right, but it but it doesn't hurt to be prepared for it and and kind of help them feel comfortable with that, you know. No, that makes a lot of sense. So, can you give us an example of things going wrong with a client that came to you probably before they met you? Hopefully, well, yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> well, I was I was thinking of something. You know, we we talked a little bit about that, and I was kind of thinking, and I think the times where it's gone wrong is when people have come to me with bad advice, and it's mm. but it's. Oftentimes it's bad advice from somebody that they've known a lot longer than me. It might be somebody in the family. It's, it's somebody's brother-in-law who lives in Texas or it's, uh, you know, you'll pardon me, but it might be their advisor in a different realm, but who knows a little mm -hmm. bit about what I do enough to be a little dangerous, you know, and uh, um, especially as it relates to Medicaid planning, we, we've talked a little bit about that, but we haven't really talked about it. I've always been trained that there, that there are options that it is it is acceptable and and legally permissible to to take steps to to preserve assets so that they don't need to be lost before Medicaid eligibility can come into play and there are people who have difficulty with that there there are people who feel that that's not fair or not appropriate and you know it's it's tough it's I, I do understand some of that hesitancy but if I have solutions to present, it's difficult. It's difficult enough to help people understand how Medicaid works when they have an open mind. It's near impossible when their mind is already somewhat darkened to that possibility. Yeah. And I think the other interesting, important piece that you're saying is always call to find out if there's an option 
even if you don't notice people, I say, oh, there's the five back five-year look back rule, which is is true, but maybe there's a some, an exception to the rule that you could say, I know how I can fix this or I can't fix this. You'll tell them one way or the other, but it does never hurts to ask and find out because it's a lot of lot of stress to go on Medicaid. It is. And the solutions that you might read about or might learn about, they're very difficult to know when they might apply a specific family's case. And so it really does take some time and some education and some investment. And that is why there's a lot of estate attorneys who, who don't dip into elder law, at least into that aspect of elder law. It is complicated. It's not that complicated, but it's, it's frankly not that enjoyable, especially when you have to deal with potentially dealing with the state Medicaid departments and the counties that, that supervise it. And those interactions can be, can be challenging and there's often not a lot of money in it at that moment. So it is, it is tricky. But it's not rocket science. I mean, you can you can sit and you can learn it and you can and and you can implement it. It's not rocket can, science for an attorney. <laughs> I would I would show, I would submit that really? it, that my oh my best resources in the Medicaid world that I've been in were when I've had very well trained paralegals who who know wow. the law, know the regulations, and also learn how the state views things and and what will help the state view things favorably. And that takes repetitions more than school, you know? Yeah, right. Really... They're also in the legal profession. I was just talking about outside the profession, it can get a little oh, what's... Fair enough. Fair enough. That's why I love I... relying on people like you and your paralegals. To... I'm trying to be humble and you're trying to be nice. <laughs> Thank you, though. <laughs> so can you tell us an example, a specific example of a client where things went right and it was really nice to watch the family deal with everything? Oh, God. Anytime we get to the point where... I've gotten the phone call that someone has died, that one of my clients have died. And I know that they're well-prepared. We, we, get to be, we get to get acquainted with their family. Their family gets to see how much effort and time and, and love that their deceased loved one put into being prepared and organized. And we get to the point after however many months it takes where we're ready to wrap it up. People are so happy and it's, and, and it's so cathartic for them. I don't want to overstate it, but it really is like, if the easiest thing dealing with your deceased loved one is their legal work, it feels pretty good. You know, it's it, everyone does have that fear that, oh my gosh, this is going to be a slog. This probate's going to be the worst. You know, and if it's even if it's a simple probate or if it's a trust administration and they realize, oh my God, this was the easiest part, actually, it's very nice. And, and so it's very reassuring. I don't, I don't think I could highlight anyone specifically. There's just so many of these quiet examples that I don't tell my lawyer friends at lunch about because they're just fine, average, everyday people who get through the process well. You know, you don't, you don't want to be a story that I tell my wife about after work. Oh, my God. And I met this family today. You would not believe. You know, I don't. <laughs> nobody wants to be that, that family. So there's a ton that, yeah, I just met some nice people today. That's it. Yeah. Got them through it. It was done. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, so do you have any pieces of wisdom or in the years that you've worked at, with estate planning that for your clients? That, what, if that's so, what would that be? There's an expression that I've come to love where it says, you know, don't, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. That's out there. It's probably something that's on someone's meme somewhere. I don't even remember the source <laughs> of it. But some of, so many of these decisions about how to proceed, you know, do I need a trust? Can I just use a will? Should I just leave things outright to my kids? Should I leave a little bit to charity? You know, 
Yeah, the answer is yes, all of it, any of it. And it, and it can be very challenging for folks to, to kind of agonize. They want to get it just right. I mean, I mean, so many people do just very straight in a very straightforward manner. Oh, yeah, my spouse gets everything. And if my spouse is already gone, my kids get everything. And that's, that's fine. But, but even just in thinking through who's going to be in charge, who's going to be in first position to, to be the first personal representative, or who's going to be, who's going to have medical power attorney for me. I see people wring their hands and, you know, they're pulling their hair out and it's like, guys, you just, we just got to get something on paper. It'll, it'll be okay. It, it really will. And most families do okay. You know, I mean, most families have somebody in them and you're wondering if they've managed to function as an adult the way that they act. But also those families all have a lot of really decent people who will set their differences aside and try hard to do the right thing. So as much as I'm a, an attorney who's built to help people overthink, don't overthink, you know? <laughs> so, so yeah. Well, thank you. That, that's very good advice. So is there anything we didn't talk about that you'd like our listeners to know? No, I think that I think that the nice thing in my in, in the community of estate planning and elder law attorneys is that particularly when you're not dealing with complicated tax issues, there's a lot of really good people who do what I do. And and I, I am often in the position of I'm being vetted by children who are looking for an attorney for their parent. You know, the, maybe their parents never had an attorney, never had a financial advisor, really has never had a professional advisor beyond a mechanic, you know? And so you, you want to, you want to find somebody who, and where you say, I like the way you talk to my mom. You know, I like the way that you handle that with my dad. And a lot of us do that. And that's something that I try really hard to do because a lot of times it's the children driving the ball. And so, you know, daughter will ask me a question I always want to turn right back to the parent and say, this is the answer to the question that your daughter had. This is how it's going to go. And you really want that because our, our seniors need that autonomy and that respect. And even if they're having struggles, we can still give that to them in a way that helps them capture that ownership of their, of their decision-making that they, that they need and they deserve and proper. And so tonight, and so many of my colleagues do that. And we certainly try to do that as well. Well, I agree. I think the biggest thing is to give them a sense of control as much as and let them control as much as they can that's respecting them as parents <laughs> so yeah. it's like it's a it's a delicate balance sometimes with the kids in the room and asking good questions and yeah. having having good intentions that's really the yeah. line everybody has good intentions hopefully <laughs> and that that balancing act is so challenging so challenging yeah. you know so as we wrap up can you tell us how people can contact you if they want to get more information Certainly, certainly. Do you want me to give out my phone number? I'm happy to do that. I don't. That's know. up to you. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, I mean, I look. Chris Gordon, Denver Elder Law. You'll find me pretty quick if you run that into Google. Our phone number here is a 303 phone number, and it's 337 2400. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. We have a website. I'm, I'm sure that it wouldn't be that hard to learn a little bit more about me if you needed to. All right, and I'm sure we'll put it in the show notes too. So thank you so much for your wise words and your great advice. Thanks. And for all of our listeners, this is the Legacy Leaders Podcast with Carol Eddy. And our guest today has been Chris Gordon. For more information about Chris and the work that he does, please visit stuartandgordon.com. And Chris, thanks again. You've been listening to the Legacy Leaders Podcast with Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller. For more information on them and the show, please visit pinnaclelegacylaw.com. If you like what you've learned today, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.